previously on Drinks with Tony. Jim Ruland. I would be the Vince D'Onofrio of boot camp. Please don't tell me that you were there. You know, Keith Morris, singer of Circle Jerks. I, are, are you, uh, do you, like, I really am a big believer in context. That sounds great. So they go to Spain every year. And that's just, that's on my mind a lot. <laughs> Not showered. What was, um, what were some of the first writers? Thanks for having me, man. It's been a blast. This week on the show, our guest is author and photographer Scott Southern. And on the second segment of the show is that interview from the Drinks with Tony archives with William T. Volman. This is Scott Southern, and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. All right, let's, let's and do it having a good time. Are we having a good time? Yeah, we are having a good time. <laughs> Get on the Drinks with Tony show. All right, now we'll start the show. See, now I do the intro. So uh, you're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Scott Southern, his book, Curbside, a memoir. Check that out. Curb service. Curb service. I'm sorry. Okay. (laughs) I screwed that up already. God damn it. Curb service. Curb service. Curb service. Streetwalkers. Streetwalkers. Big city. Big city. All right. Yes. And Big City's a novel. Big City's a novel. Right. It is. Yeah. And, uh, um... I listened to that last night to uh, your last with uh, David Eulen. Oh, that was a yeah, yeah. Oh, so we're on now. Well, yeah, kind of. We are. Yeah, uh, David Eulen was a fun one. And I, I, yeah, it was. It was fun to listen to. It was fun. And um, then I saw somewhere that you were doing uh, one with uh, Shauna uh-huh. Kinney. Yeah. And uh, um, that was kind of uh, exciting for me because I've known Shauna for quite a while now. Yeah. You know, and uh, there's kind of a little there's kind of a little group of writers in Los Angeles, and I've always been kind of on the periphery, and then I jump in every so often uh-huh. at, 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 for a reading or, or or something like that. And I've never been. I'm not really a member of the club so much, but um, but I'm around, and I know all the people um, um, you know that are. In the the club, so to speak, it's kind of an underground thing. It's kind of like uh, we are we are the uh, Los Angeles groovy, you know, um, because um, well, that's 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 what we are. I mean, it's uh, and that's always been Los Angeles. I mean, I, growing up, I always thought of uh, you know San Francisco. You go to San Francisco and be a beatnik and uh, and a writer. And, and and all of that and um, Los Angeles was never really included in in uh, yeah. all the things. It was New York. It was San Francisco. It was anywhere except Los Angeles. And there's to this day there's a real snobbery uh-huh. about uh, LA writers. You know that we're all uh, um, you know it's all about fashion and and suntans and and uh, um, things like that. I would recommend anybody who thinks that. Uh, Los Angeles isn't sophisticated enough for a writer should spend a year in San Diego. <laughs> yeah, because then you know, yeah. then you know what's really fucking void. I mean, it's, yeah, so, uh, yeah, yeah. I only spent like a weekend in San Diego once, so, but I, so, so San Diego doesn't have like a lot of, um, I, I don't know the vibe of it. Yeah. I lived in La Jolla for a while in the 80s, um, my second marriage, and um, um, La Jolla was nice, you know, it was great, it was down by the beach uh, uh, for a while, and if you just sit and watch the 
Um, the girls walked by all day. You know, at that time, it was certainly worth the price of the rent. Yeah. Um, but there's just nothing there. There um, that I that I could find. You know, and I, I'm sure there are people in San Diego that would hate me for saying that. Well, I think of um, Jim Rulin, who does Vermin on the Mount. Yeah. He's he's kind of keeping something going down there. Yeah. I got a and I, back and forth, and I and I yeah. think he's in San Diego. Because I think he was in the Navy, right, right. and that's that's probably how he ended up there. Um, yeah. Now I got to tell you, um, as a as a writer in Los Angeles, I am about the fashion and the suntan, and you totally yeah. offended me right there. Yeah. Look at me. Look how beautiful I am. You're the person. You're the person I think of. <laughs> When I think of these vain fuckers in in uh, uh, California, in uh, Los Angeles, yeah, yeah, the picture of vanity—that's that's you, that's you. Yeah, and what and what was it about uh, the the novel that we were just talking about? Well, I was I say I always I, I wanted to write novels, and uh, so I wrote novels, and uh, I couldn't I couldn't sell them, you know. Um, I've become the the template for people who can't sell their books and don't stop trying you know so anyway I, I well I started writing um, seriously started writing in, in 1990 um, because I uh, um, embarked on my third marriage uh, which is the one that worked and um, Wait, so I need to have another marriage before I have a marriage that works you had so far oh well you're not even you're, you're barely you're barely getting started yeah, my father had six. He has the family record. <laughs> and uh, and let's see, my sister's second, and I'm third, yeah. So um, now I lost complete track of what I was talking about, which I guess doesn't really matter. Uh, we're talking about novels. Yeah. And um, I found I, I had a hard time selling the novels because I do have a tendency to go over the top with, with things. And... Um, what happened was uh, I had these pictures that I had taken um, of prostitutes in, in Los Angeles mostly and decided that um, maybe that would be easier to sell. So basically I wrote a memoir and then after that I wrote a, a, a book of short stories and photographs and I did that just to put myself in a position to sell a novel. You know, and the novel hasn't done nearly as good as the others. Yeah. You know, and uh, um, Streetwalkers is probably doing better than the other two and that's because it has a lot of pictures and I forgot to say that you're um you're you're a photographer and you have, there you, you you have you have showings around town I was I, I got to see one uh, a couple of months ago um, over in uh, Hollywood on Coenga yeah right yeah I've been doing that <clears throat> excuse me for years um, I, I was raised to be um, I was bred to be a photographer my father was a, at a portrait and wedding studio uh, in Springfield Missouri and that's where I grew up. It's kind of like your your weird thing with uh, growing up with the religion. I, I, I grew up with these, uh, um, you know, I was supposed to live in a hillbilly town for the rest of my life and take over my father's studio and photograph babies and weddings and, uh, and all of that. And I got out of high school in 1967. And the idea in 1967 of staying in Springfield, Missouri and photographing babies and weddings was not for me, you know, so I took off early. And uh, um, and I, I worked as a portrait photographer off and on over the years. I worked as every kind of photographer over the years. I've done it since I was really 15 years old. You know, when I was 16, I had a job in a, in a cave in Missouri. And uh, um, it was a tourist thing. 
and uh, people would, it was called Fantastic Caverns. People would drive into this cave. Um, there, were, there was a Jeep, and the Jeep pulled a wagon, and they'd fill the wagon up with tourists, and they'd drive them into this cave, which is how big the cave was. And as soon as they got into the cave, um, like a, a few yards, uh, I was up on a hill with a, a 4x5 camera and uh, flash bulbs. And uh, um, we'd say something stupid like, you know, we, got, we need to take your pictures so we can count when we're done and make sure everybody's still there. And, um, and, and so then I'd take their picture. And I had a dark room in the cave. And so while they drove, while they toured the rest of the cave, uh, I would develop the pictures, the, the film, and, uh, and with a wet negative and, and make the prints. And then I'd sell them for a, a buck fifty a piece when they came out of the cave, wow. you know, if they wanted them. Yeah. And and then I would hope, you know, I'd sell them for a buck fifty and hope that they they get in their car and leave before the picture fades, because that's how uh, that's that's how uh, um, how good the pictures were. Is that uh, I had to worry that they would fade before the people left. What, what does that mean, fade? I don't understand that. Oh, oh well. Um, the last part of, a, of before you wash it, the last thing you do with a photograph is uh, you put it in a fixer that keeps the image permanent, makes the permanent image. And uh, if instead of putting it in the fixer for four minutes, I put it in the fixer fixer for six seconds, or uh, you know, uh, uh, a minute and a half, two minutes, uh, there's a picture. There's a chance that within the next thirty minutes it'll start to turn color and, and, and turn kind of brown, and then after a while, there's just no picture there anymore at all. So, uh, I mean, I, I, I didn't always do that, but that's, uh, um, uh, that was a concern at, at times. Yeah. Well, since it was a dark cave, you can say it was a feature because yeah. there's like ghosts in there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I never thought of that. Yeah. You know, and that was just, uh, well, that was how I started out, uh, really, as a photographer um, and working for my dad. Did your ha did your dad have an eye for photography? Oh yeah, he was good. Yeah, he was good, but what he did was was pretty dorky. Right. You know, and um, uh, but he was very good at what he did. He uh, um, was pretty well known throughout the uh, Midwest, and and he belonged to an organization uh, called the Photographers uh, Professional Photographers of America, the PPA, and uh, they were a bunch of dorks. And and uh, but they had these big conventions, and my father always won all the blue ribbons and and, and things for his portraits of babies and, uh, you know, and he'd do puppet tricks and, 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 and all that stuff. And so I, 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 um, after high school, I had a job for a while. Um, you know, I, I, well, I was, I ran wild for a number of years and, uh, and, and then I, I did have a job. Um, oh, now I forgot which job I was talking about. That's the thing about getting old now. All of a sudden I'm in the middle of a conversation. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Um, I had a job. That's why the third marriage is working because you both you both forget what you're fighting about. We do. Yeah. Do you really? Yeah. Well, we both we both forget, and fortunately, we live in an age of we sit and watch TV with a, with our phones, uh -huh. so that we can see what that actor's name is, and 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 because you know it and you and you can't remember it. And uh, I had a job traveling around the United States with a portable studio, and I went into churches, and I would set up. Um, uh, background and, and uh, lights and everything and I'd photograph every member of the church and uh, uh, then they'd make yearbooks out of them and a crew would come behind me with proofs 
and uh, they they make quarters, and 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 so that's how I made a living for a couple of years, and uh, it was a it was different, you know, and uh, yeah. Speaking of religion, I went to every church there was, every kind of church, and uh, had I not been an atheist when I started, I would have been when I finished, no matter what, you know, because it 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 was just, you know, um, um, the priest offering me a, a a warm place to stay at night and. Uh, uh, I mean, it was, it was kind of nuts, you know. But it was also fun, and I, 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 uh, I think I read the story at that uh, thing you were, where you attended recently, um, about um, getting saved. Because I, I, I heard that I could sell more pictures if I let myself be saved, and uh, so I let this guy baptize me. And they, it was like the, the, almost like a, a jacuzzi, you know, at the front of this church. And they dunk you in the water. So uh, anyway, that's that's my touch with uh, with religion. Well, you got it just in case with Jesus, then, exactly. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always thought that's so silly. People say they're agnostic just in case. In Is case agnostic mean, mean that just in case? It does. That's yeah, what yeah. that's to me anyway. That's yeah. what what agnostic means. It and it's just it seemed pretty silly to me. Yeah. Were you so when? Um, when did you uh, like know that, that you were atheist, and were your parents of the same? Uh, were they were they of different? I was raised in an Episcopal church. My mother's still religious. My sister's religious. Um, my father uh, was a second-generation atheist who claimed he was a Christian because he said it was better for business. And and my father who married six times and would become whatever religion his current wife was as he went along. And, uh, um, but the whole time, and then every time he'd see me, he'd talk about how fucking crazy everybody was, that they believed all this stuff. But he was right there doing all of it. And uh, so, yeah, I was... Uh, and I didn't know he was an atheist till I was older and told him that I was an atheist, you know. Um, but I... In seventh grade, um, we had to go to what they were called confirmation classes. And uh, that was not for baptism, because you were baptized when you were young. And this was for confirmation, which meant you were like like a, an adult, you know, and uh, um, could um, take communion. Yeah. And uh, But uh, it was during those classes that I decided that this stuff makes no sense to me. You know, I I just can't take it, and uh, it was it was difficult for my 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 mother, you know. That uh, you told her at that time. Um, I, I you know we were we were off and on. I'd tell her, and then she'd she'd forget it or not. She'd she'd she had selective memory, and 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 it would come back up years later, you know. And I'd say no, no, you know, it it, it makes no sense. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, it was it was kind of an odd thing uh, being in a. A time and a place where uh, everyone was a Christian, yeah. at least in my little world, which I thought was the whole world, of course, when I was right. young. And, uh, you know, it was pretty much uh, where I grew up, everyone was white yeah. and, um, and uh, everyone was Christian. Um, this was after the World War II, so it also meant that uh, everyone had a job. And uh, I, I recall um, a good friend of my parents who um, worked in a, in a clothing store. Yeah. 
the basement, they call it the bargain basement. He was in charge of the bargain basement of a, of a clothing store. And um, he had two cars and a nice big house. And his wife didn't work. And he did that with a job in a bargain basement. And that's kind of the difference of what I grew up in and, and what it is now. Right. Because we're far, far away from that. Now you're not, you get a job at the Gap, you're not going to get a job and, and buy two cars and a, and, a, and a house. You can't even rent. Right. You know, so, but that's kind of what I grew up with in the hippie days, you know. And uh, um, we had a lot, uh, we had a lot to rebel against. And plus the fact that it was just fun to rebel. And, and uh, you know, that's that's kind of what the 60s was all about anyway, was uh, just fucking off everything. And, and uh, you know, that's why I came to Southern California, is to, to uh, take drugs and fuck. And, that, yeah, that brings me to the um, to what I want to know is, uh, how old were you when you came to, to um, did you come straight to L.A.? Was L.A. always your destination? Or did you have, did you kind of meander around a bit? Um, oh, right after I got out of high school, I just had to leave, you know, and I had a friend in, whose uh, family had moved to Santa Monica. So I, uh, I came out here and, and, and stayed with him for a while. And my, uh, my father had grown up in Long Beach. And then somehow after the war, the family ended up in Missouri, you know, so I had been out here on uh, vacations, summer vacations. And I thought, this is where I'm going to live, you know. Um, and especially at that age, and, and uh, it takes me, once again, I'm back at Girls in Bikinis. And, and uh, um, you know, all the, uh, you know, everyone was beautiful and everyone was just having so much fun. And, and uh, you know, I, I landed in, on Sunset Boulevard like in 1967, 68. And uh, it, was, it was the greatest thing I'd ever seen, you know. I thought, fuck, I'm in heaven, you know, and I was for, for, for quite a while. So, and, and you could go, you could go forever. Um, um, you didn't really even have to have a job and you could survive. Everybody survived, you know, and everybody was hitchhiking around the country. And, and I did travel around a bit. Yeah, I stayed in uh, um, Boulder, Colorado for a while and uh, Texas. Um, and uh, I, I moved around a bit, and and over the years too. I've been, like I lived a couple of years in New York City, and uh, uh, spent a year in Saudi Arabia. So I've I've you know done a bit of moving around stuff. But L.A. became home a long time ago. Um, There's just something about it that uh, made me want to anchor, anchor here. And and, and all this time, did you always have the camera with you? Were you always photographer uh, doing photos? Yeah, I, I, I was I was always a photographer for a living. But I was never a guy who carried a camera with me. I'm not a street photographer at all, and uh, I don't, I don't even now don't carry a camera. I use it when I go out to make specifically to make pictures, and uh, uh, nowadays I only do that um, oh, uh, oh six, seven times a year, really. You know, I have a young assistant, um, a young woman who goes with me when I go out and take pictures now, and I go down to Skid Row. We get there around one o'clock in the morning, and I uh, and and hang out until around five, and then come home. So, uh, um, and that's kind of the only time I, I take pictures, which is why I'm I'm always looking to maybe do something else for a, uh, uh, you know, for a change. Uh, like I've been thinking about photographing writers and and uh, people I know doing portraits and stuff like that. So, um, 
yeah, yeah. Anyway, L.A. is home. And, and uh, um, yeah, yeah. And I had to escape um, uh, from Missouri. It just wasn't, you know. Um, I had a friend. Um, we used to do, we, I, it was almost like a contest to see who could get on the front page of the local paper. And uh, I had a friend who had a, a, an actual headline on, the, on the, the Springfield paper in 1966, maybe. Um, after, uh, after 12 o'clock, there's nothing else to do except burn barns. So that was the kind of, uh, yeah, yeah, that was where I came from. Do you, do you still have a copy of the fo- first photo that was, uh, was published, that you had published? No, no, not at all. I, I, I have uh, photo files. I'm not prolific as a writer or a photographer. I, I, I really don't do a lot and never have. Um, but I try to, uh, uh, but I'm real persnickety about what I do. You know, and uh, as a photographer, especially, I learned. Uh, see, nobody, I, I, nobody taught me writing, but I was taught photography. I learned photography from my father. Yeah. You know, so, uh, um, and and because he was a portrait photographer, um, and this was back when we still had big cameras um, and film. So every time you took a made an exposure, it cost you money. So you had to make good exposures and that's kind of how I, I learned to take pictures so even now when I go out um, on a shoot um, if I photograph say four different people in Skid Row uh, sex workers in Skid Row then uh, I should probably have no more than 20 exposures at the most you know and uh, and I've been that way with with writing but I think a lot of the writing has been I, I think I would have been more prolific if I had to start selling I think everybody needs that you, there, there's that motivation there and after you write one then you write two and you're still not really making a living at it it gets hard to write that third book oh, yeah. you know and uh, and and I think uh, um, a lot of people would be more prolific if uh, somebody was paying them yeah. I'm sure I would have been yeah. So, um, do you still shoot on film, or do you also shoot you digital? In years. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm strictly digital. But you, but you still kind of keep the same, uh, the same rhythm as to if it was film. Mm-hmm. It sounds important. Yeah, for me it is. Yeah. Yeah. When you when you when you go to Skid Row, do you have an idea of? Are you are you are you like looking at the? Um, you just take in the place and then find the story or do you kind of have a story in your head where you're like oh this could be a good capture everything is improv okay every bit of it yeah i don't uh, i just go out and if i see somebody standing on a corner and i stop and say you want to can i take your picture and they say what for and we talk for a while and i offer i pay them i always pay for my pictures and uh so i'll pay somebody 20 bucks and and uh we'll go find a spot and uh take two or three pictures five pictures and uh and then later i try to i put it all together and a lot of the stories came uh, um um, a lot of i had more stories in the uh 80s with the pictures i took um because i put myself in the story more see nowadays i'm mostly taking the making the pictures and and uh, talking to the people and I have my assistant and and uh, but in the 80s when I first started doing it I was throwing myself right into the middle of it um, you know and I was doing Hollywood and other places as well 
you know, and, and so I was uh, taking the pictures, but I was also uh, um, in getting laid, and uh, I, that was a part of it when I first started. Um, I really, it was all it was a, a purient thing that got me into it in the first place. Um, you know, I went out and just really looking for, uh, um, looking to get laid. And then I thought, you know, I'm a photographer. I should just do this, uh, you know, and that's kind of how it started. And then the stories um, didn't come for uh, another uh, 10, 15 years when I first started writing about it. Yeah, and uh, just so just so the audience knows, these are sex workers that you're mostly taking photos of. That that's why. Um, so what, what was what was the first experience where you're like, all right, I'm going to pay someone. Did did you did you like go? Oh, I just I just want to get laid. I'm going to pay this person, and then realize later on that you're maybe I should take some photos. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah I went out. Um, um, it was uh, um, uh, after a fight with uh, uh, my uh, second wife, uh -huh. and I went out just think, fuck this, I'm going to go get laid, you know? Yeah. And um, then I was there, and I had my camera, and I thought, whoa, you know, I, I, should, I should do this. So that was the first time? Yeah, pretty much. Wow. You know? And I, I had, uh, um, well, because I grew up in a, a, a small town in Missouri, um, you know, I... And a long time ago, I used to go to a two-dollar whorehouse in Springfield, Missouri. You know, and uh, there was a little place I used to go to called Black Nats in uh, Sedalia, Missouri, which was a drive, but it was worth it. Uh -huh. um, which is uh, well, that one was about seven bucks. You know, um, and uh, yeah, I just got as, as a kid, I got hooked into that. You know, and uh, as I got older. Um, and, and other kids, they thought it was pretty great, you know. I, I, knew, I didn't know very many kids that were, uh, had the, uh, uh, most of them wouldn't go. It just, it was too creepy for, for, for young people yeah. in general, I guess. Uh, yeah. I, I, didn't, I just thought it was great. Um, so anyway, yeah, I, I, I kind of came from that. And uh, um, I got to know people, and, and I got to know this other side. I, I think that... Um, um, and, and I think a lot of the writing stuff, too, uh, over the years, you know, I was always attracted to the uh, uh, kind of creepy part of town. And I always wanted to go to the, as I call it, the other side of the tracks. And I spent a lot of time there when I was a kid. And, uh, and so it stayed with me. And uh, so now I'm that guy, you know. Um, interesting, one of the interesting things about now, if I talk about going to, to prostitutes, um, I have yet, well, actually, I met one guy. Uh, in all the years I've done this and talked to people about it and written stories about it, um, I've uh, never had a guy who admitted going. It's all like, oh, well, I'm a man, and I, I you know, uh, I don't need that. I can get laid without having to do that. But at the same time, I'm pretty sure I'm not the only guy. Yeah. You know, somebody's paying them. And uh, so it's, it's, it's kind of funny that... Uh, now, I, I know sex workers who, have, who uh, readily admit to being sex workers. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to me that a sex worker will admit to being a sex worker or having been a sex worker in their past, but most men won't admit to ever going to a sex worker. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. 
And it's, it's just this kind of a, a macho thing, I think, you know, that uh, I, I don't need to go to a, a, a whore to get laid. And, uh, and, and from what I've seen, there's nothing, that's not what it's about anyway. Right. You know, it's not like they're out there looking for love. And, and uh, I mean, it's just, well, it's just not what people seem to think it is. All right. Now I feel I have to confess. You're putting me in the situation. <laughs> well, so my situation is, well, because I, yeah, I, you know how strict I grew up and I was yeah. married for so long. Yeah. The furthest I went is I did go into a massage parlor. Yeah. And then I, you know, I did get naked and she, she, she like oiled me down. Yeah. And then she asked for more money. Yeah. And, but I was scared to death the whole time and I left. So I put my clothes on. And I walked out of there with this the weirdest scented oil all over my body that I just wanted to get off of me as soon as possible, and that's that that was my only, um, that was that was my only. I've actually been writing about that um, that specific time, Um, and so you know that'll come out in about 20 years, right? How this pro publishing works. Exactly. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. That, I, she just, um, I went in. I was like, you know, I was drunk, lonely, and I'm like, let me see. And then after um, she, she, you know, just gave me the massage, and it was a legit massage. And then she re- realized, okay, maybe this guy's not a cop. And then said, here's the new prices. And I was just putting my clothes on, and I was hoping that there wasn't some burly dude who was going to kick my ass yeah. as I got out of there. Yeah, I can remember feeling that way as a kid going into Black Nats. And uh, um, there were, because um, you had to go through a room, and there were all these guys sitting around in this room in a bar. Yeah. And you had to walk through it, you know, and it was in the black part of town. So and I was this little white kid uh, walking in there. And, yeah. and um, I remember a, a guy asking me once if it was better than a big dog. And uh, um, they'd give me a hard, they'd give me a pretty hard time, you know, call me Peckerwood. And um, um, so, yeah, and massage parlors. Um, I always thought the massage parlors were made for people who were between marriages and girlfriends. Uh-huh. And because uh, it just seemed like the uh, easy way to go. Yeah. You know, no commitment. And yeah. uh, um, so, anyway, yeah. Yeah, and, I, and then the other thing is the irony probably of going to... Um, Tell me if I'm putting words in your mouth. Going to going to a sex worker or a prostitute um, for sex, and then it's saying, "All right, now let's uh, let's do photography." And they're like, "Wait a second, the photography is the weird part of that whole situation." Yeah, I I uh, um, it always struck me odd that most women are more comfortable swallowing sperm than having their picture taken. You know, and it's true. It's true. They they are immediately suspicious. As soon as you ask, as soon as I ask to take the picture, yeah. you know, but if you ask for something, you know, you, you, uh, anything else, you know, uh, uh, let's go over here and climb a tree and pee on my head, yeah. you know, um, oh, that's fine. They have no problem. But um, no, no, it, it is that way. And more and more. And they're, they're more and more uh, suspicious. And which is one reason I when I go now, um, I have a young girl who goes with me, a young woman who goes with me. Right. And um um, and before her, there was another woman who went with me who had been an ex-sex worker um, because it makes them feel more comfortable, yeah. you know. And um, people have gotten, when I was a photographer in like the 70s, 
Um, I have a series of photographs. We're working on a book right now. And um, I could pretty much go anywhere and stop anyone and say, excuse me, I want to take your picture. And they'd say, where should I stand? What do you want me to do? You know, it was that easy. And nowadays, everyone's afraid. Everyone, nobody trusts anyone else, in spite of the fact that everyone's taking everyone's picture constantly. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's uh, um, being a photographer. See, I, when I was a young photographer, there weren't a lot of us around. And now everyone's a photographer, you know? And uh, so they, they don't trust, they don't trust as much. And I take somebody with me now too, but that, uh, I mean, I've gotten older, I don't walk as well as I did. I've, I've had uh, some problems uh, physically over the years and uh, walk with a cane. And so um, a few years ago, well, it's really about just a couple of years ago, uh, first I got, um, I got robbed by a, a drug dealer in Skid Row. Um, who, uh, um, well, I, I, had a, I was making a photograph, and I thought, you know what would look really good in this photograph would be a bag of heroin and uh, to put behind the glass, between the photograph and the glass. And uh, so I stopped and, and uh, had a conversation with a drug dealer, and uh, um, uh, in the course of uh, finagling and, and everything, uh, he grabbed my wallet through the car window and, and took off. I had my wallet out. And, uh, and then, um, about a year, year and a half ago, um, I had a, um, a sex worker, a transvestite, um, who uh, uh, pepper sprayed me. I still don't know, really. I, I, uh, I, I met her. I was alone. I said, let's, let's take your picture. You know, can I take your picture? And I gave her 20 bucks to take her picture, and we walked acro went across to an empty lot. This was in Skid Row. And uh, um, I carry, you know, usually I carry my money in my pants pocket in $5 bills and just take it out a little bit at a time. And I mistakenly kind of showed my wad. And uh, um, she started demanding more money. And uh, finally I said, you know, I don't need to take your picture. We're, we're done. I'm sorry. Because she had a vibe I didn't like. And I got into the car, and it was summertime. Both windows were open. And all of a sudden I, hit the, I felt this spray hit my face. And she was spraying through the window from the other side and hit me right in the face with a long stream of uh, pepper spray. And I knew immediately that's what it was. And uh, so I drove away, and uh, I drove about three or four blocks just to get away. And then I stopped the car, and I had two bottles of uh, water in the car. And I dumped both of them over my head and my face. And of course, I found out later that the pepper spray is like an oil. And so all it did really was spread it. So now, <laughs> so now besides having my eyes burning up, uh, it's down at my balls as well. Um, so I, I drove home. I drove home with the, the, all the windows open, and uh, um, when I got home, uh, it was like 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. This is funny, too, because it was 2 o'clock in the mo morning, so my wife, was Linda, was concerned when I walked in at that early. You know, I'm home, honey, from, from picking up whores. And um, so she's, um, she looked it up on the Internet, you know, and we poured milk over my face and, and, and all this stuff. And uh, my eyes were red for a couple of days after that, one eye in particular. And that's kind of when I decided, you know, I'm 69 years old. Maybe I should start taking someone with me. Yeah. And uh, and since then I have. You know. And, and um, the, and yeah, it, 
what is it like to get the because you really have to get the trust of somebody in order to get the, the yeah. photo so uh, you know part of it's the money but then you like you said you got to be careful with your money in these yeah. situations because yeah. you're not in the best neighborhoods you're you're, you're in your neighborhoods where you, you will get jumped. So well, how, how is that navigating that, especially in the early days before you knew how to navigate it? Well, I don't, I just kind of, I just kind of jumped into it. You know, when I was young, I was, I was uh, kind of fearless. You know, it took me a long time to uh, um, be afraid. You know, it took getting a face full of pepper spray and, and you know, stuff like that. It was one of the, the yeah, yeah. And I, yeah, I just yeah that was very recent. Okay, and um, I just always kind of threw myself into it. I think once they realized that uh, um, it's actually a fun thing, you know, because uh, we do make it fun. They're modeling. They're getting my attention. They're having someone tell them, "Ooh, that's 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 a pretty picture. That's nice," you know, and uh, and you know I have come to. Uh, care deeply about these women who are working on the streets and uh sure a lot of them some of them are dangerous because uh, uh you know they have drug habits or, or whatever and they need whatever money they can get um so they can't necessarily be trusted but at the same time uh so many of them are sweethearts and and uh, you know i i see them as uh, these were girls who were uh, they were the school cheerleader they were they they maybe had big plans for uh, um the ambitions for what they were going to be someday and and uh and everything just went to shit and they're not resp it's not their fault that everything went to shit so i care a lot i care a lot and i i i do what i can to uh make them to make sure they have a good time we had um i had a box of uh, uh a box of lingerie that a uh, um, woman who has a, a lingerie store in new york city um sent this box to give away to the girls in Skid Row. She sent it to another woman I know who was a sex worker, and, and then she gave it to me. And so we pulled over at a, a, a popular spot in Skid Row. This was just uh, last month. And um, these, uh, the, the women just started coming out of nowhere, you know, and uh, going through. We had to hold them back, say, like, you know, like one thing a piece. And, and uh, so anyway, they're getting all this lingerie out, and uh, we're right in the middle of Skid Row, and everything's pretty bleak, you know, except for our little spot there. And um, so I, I said, uh, uh, $20 a piece, if you guys will go with me, we'll take your pictures. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I need to say at this point, too, is uh, I don't have $20 to be given everybody, right. you know, and, uh, but I do it anyway. You know, and, and, and always have. So anyway, I got, um, I've got um, my, my friend who's, who's with us, um, Isabel. Um, she's sitting shotgun. And I've got four sex workers in the back seat. And, uh, and then two of them got in a fight, so one of them had to get out. <clears throat> so then I only had three. But then we went to a, a, a rooftop parking lot downtown. And there was nobody else around, and we had the whole place to ourselves. And so it was like a real photo shoot, except with sex workers, and at at four o'clock in the morning, you know. And it was really fun. And and I know they all had so much fun, you know. And they were changing clothes, and then they come back, and I do another shoot with another girl, and I had two shoots with them together, and uh, it was great. It was great. So uh, um, yeah, sometimes. Sometimes that happens, you know. 
and uh, sometimes it's really uh, it's it's a lot of fun for everyone involved, and and you know that uh, nobody else that night was going to pick up any of them those women and give them anything other than grief and uh, as little money as as possible, you know. So uh, yeah, yeah, there. Um, I think that most of the stuff I've written about them um, has been sympathetic to a to a, to a degree, you know, and uh, they it it. It bothers me um, that uh, we're living in a um, age where uh, they're really they're it's most like they're the, they're the most disliked women. I mean, we can we finally have uh, things are finally coming around for for gay marriage and drug. I mean, so many things have happened, you know. But uh, this is one thing that uh, is just it, it, there's never going to legalize prostitution. You know, and uh, um, it would save lives if they did. You know, and there are people downtown when uh, um, uh, curb service. When I publish curb service, there's a, a little market thing in it. Um, we give a, a, what's a curb service. No, it's a big city. We give a small percentage of uh, everything we make goes to a uh, um, a needle exchange downtown. You know, because that's helping. That's helping people, and a lot of towns nowadays, um, a lot of places, uh, they won't even do that. It's against the law. They won't let them do that. You know, and it's against the law for me to be uh, helping them, giving them clothes or food or anything like that. You know, we're not supposed to do that. And uh, we went down last year on Christmas Eve. I'm not sure if we're going to do it this year or not, but we went down right the smack dab center of uh, Skid Row. A bunch of us. And we gave away blankets and clothing and, and uh, food and, and boxes of condoms, you know, and, and stuff like that. So, yeah. And now that you now that you spend um, a lot of time going down there, do you uh, do you kind of have a um, do people see you as kind of, you know, you'll, you'll see the same uh, people there sometimes? Do you have this, is there some? Uh, yeah, sometimes. And this, this is the first time that that's really happened with me, you know, and I did. I went I. I Photographed from um, uh, 1985 to 1992, about you know, um, and then that's when Linda and I got married, and and I stopped because I also had uh, um, a lot of some major physical problems, and um, and then I didn't start up again until uh, uh, 2010 when uh, I had my when I had my first big exhibit and uh, my first solo show. And um, from 1990 until uh, oh, 2000, 2005 maybe, um, is when I uh, started writing, you know. And I, uh, I, for, oh, easily 15 years, I didn't take any pictures at all. I just wrote every day, you know. And um, I got, uh, I was getting disability and Linda had a good job. And so, I mean, I recommend uh, anyone who wants, wants to be a writer. I recommend they marry a spouse, marry someone with a good job. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's I call that writer's retreat. Writer's retreat. That's good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how the hell else are you going to do it? Um. So yeah, I can't. The worst would be two writers in the same family. Is is um, nobody who's going to support them? Um. Anyway, yeah. That so that's um. I started writing uh, every day. And I read, um, and um, uh, I started uh, collecting books as well, uh, um, uh, signed first editions of uh, fiction. And uh, um, 
Now, we live in a one-bedroom um, condo, and I no longer have room. And I've got, right now I have box, I have 500 signed first edition books of every writer there was in the, between the 90s and, the, uh, and 2010. And uh, I'm trying to find a way to, uh, to get rid of them, to sell them. So, uh, anyway, that's, that's how I taught myself to write. I read, and, and uh, I went to readings and listened to uh, uh, people, even though most of the time when you go to a reading, questions can be pretty inane. You know, uh, 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 what kind of computer do you use? You know, what's, what's, what kind of mouse do you have? Um, what time of day? That's, that's the big question. You always hear them say, what time of day do you write? You know, who the fuck cares? Um, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. How do I get an agent? Oh, where are you out in your book? <laughs> How do I get an agent? Yeah, Jesus Christ. I'm not the one to ask. I'm not the one to ask that. My agent just retired, actually. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I'm without an agent right now, but I don't really have a book I'm pushing right now anyway, so I guess it's uh, it's okay, but there's nothing worse than, than hunting for an agent. And uh, I have a box at home, um, a manuscript box, you know, and when I first started writing, I wrote my first book, uh, it was called Better Nails, and uh, nobody's ever going to see it at this point. Um, but I put it in a manuscript box, and I could mail the box, I think, for six bucks plus return. And to mail that same thing now would be about 20 bucks, but everything's electronic anyway, you know. But I have a box, um, oh, it's probably six inches high, and it's completely full of rejection. Every rejection I ever got, photography, writing, um, oh, Everything. I, I, I've been rejected by all the best agents, by all the best museums, by all the best everything. I've, and the worst, for that matter. Yeah. You know, I got, uh, um, yeah, I, I challenge anybody to have a rejection box as, as fat as my rejection box. Well, and what's great is uh, here we are now. I've, you know, I've gotten to see you read. I've gotten to see your um, your. Your, your photography on uh, display and it's all fantastic and also I love the way you read too Some, there's, a, there, there's a real rhythm to it so it's you know it's all about there, there is a there's, there's a rainbow at the end of this your perseverance actually got us to now you know yeah, yeah that's, it's all about perseverance yeah. you know and um, <clears throat> excuse me I've heard people say well if, if you're good it will it will get found but I don't really believe that you know and I think there are a lot of really talent I mean you know we're in Los Angeles all of the great artistic talents from all over the world they come here yeah. and that's who we're in competition with you know um, I spent uh, um, oh, what, 1972 to uh, 75 in uh, Florida and uh, which is another pretty good story um, and uh, I came back out here after Florida. I, I kind of left in the middle of the night. And um, wait, wait, you left in the middle of the night? Was that? Is this another story? It is. It yeah, is. Yeah. Um, actually, I'll tell the story. But uh, um, after I make this point, um, which is well, now what the fuck was my point? Florida, <laughs> that's that's Florida, that's. And I come, I came out here. And I started going around with a portfolio because I knew I was the most talented motherfucker that ever lived, you know. And, uh, and in Florida, um, I kind of was. 
you know. And so I got here, and uh, um, I was going everywhere with my portfolio. This was the 76, I guess. And um, <clears throat> I remember I went once to um, TV Guide. I figured, you know, I'm, I'm going everywhere. I, and I, I show this woman my portfolio. And the first thing they do is they can go through 20 pages in 20 seconds. And so I'm thinking, my God, aren't they going to stop at each picture and talk about how great it is? And, and aren't they wowed? Aren't they going to say, fuck me, man, how did you make that? And um, so after going through all the pictures in 20 seconds, she says, okay, thank you, and hands it back to me. And I said, well, don't you, I mean, I, I don't know what I wanted, you know? And I, I said, well, what do you, you know, what do you see there? And she said, oh, you're, you're, you're very talented. And she said, so were the other five people who came in earlier today before you. And, and that's, that's what Los Angeles is. That's what New York is. That's what new si big cities are, you know, to, in general. And uh, so just being talented isn't enough. You know, you have to be talented and, and you have to be able to deliver or do whatever it is, you know. And, and uh, a lot of it, too. Well, for photographers, they, they're looking for people oftentimes who uh, are s specializing. So they want the photographer who's best known for photographing telephone poles, you know, because they have a, a job coming up where they need telephone poles. So they want somebody to come in not, not with a portfolio that shows how versatile they are. They want a portfolio that shows all the phone books yeah. or the phone poles. Yeah. Yeah. I learned that too, where I, yeah, I felt like, oh, you know, because when I look at things, I'm like, oh, I, yeah, I could write, I could write about this. I can, you know, I can get on this type of TV show. I can get on this yeah. type of TV show. They don't want that. Yeah. They want you as the, such a specific. Yeah. You're the guy who writes blank, 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 and you will never go outside of that. That's yeah. in that realm. That's why I love the novel because we can, yeah. we can do whatever the fuck we want, and we still, you know, kind of stay true to what we want. Yeah, it is, and, uh, and, and I don't know. If it's both fortunate and unfortunate for me, yeah. is that I'm I'm the whore guy. <laughs> yeah, that's can we do, can we do like fame, huh? You know, I'm the whore guy. That's that's it. Yeah. Well, we should do a TV adaptation of it, kind of like the Fall Guy, and we'll yeah. do all the exact same like scenes, but it'll be um, about getting um, sex workers photographed yeah. instead of I don't even know what the premise of that show yeah. is. I don't know. I'm 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 ready. Yeah. 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 So, anyway, I already have the theme theme music. It's just like dun 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 yeah. dun dun. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, yeah, That's just good. fly, you know, quick, quick aerial shots of L.A. and then you in the car speeding down, yeah. and then, you know, cuts of uh, the naked ladies really fast, and then, yeah. <laughs> boom, yeah. it's a, um, uh, Act One. Yeah. yeah. So if anybody needs a to buy, you know, if anybody needs a horror photograph at some point, <laughs> then just give me a call when I'm there. And um, uh, anyway, anyway, that's that's about it. Oh yeah, um, I want to ask you. So, um, so with Linda, uh, when you told her that you were going to back to photograph um, sex workers, what was her reaction to that? That was, I mean, I, I have to, I have to preface this with I know both you and Linda yeah. kind of well. So, well, you know, um, one of the reasons we're married is because we support each other, and and uh, you know, I, I've met so many guys over the years, and and known people who have said. Um, my God, my wife would never, would never let me do that, you know? But why not? You know, I'm not getting laid. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm just taking pictures. And uh, it's a creative thing that I do, and we're doing it um, for any number of reasons at this point. Uh, some is because I'm trying to uh, 
create something that uh, would maybe help out a lot of these people on the street, you know, if I could. And the other thing is that uh, I make a little bit of money now and then, you know. And so if I'm contributing money, then that's fine with, with, with Linda, you know. And uh, she's never wanted to go with me. And um, um, it, she worries about me, especially when I'm coming home with pepper spray all over me. And um, so uh, we have that. But uh, um, yeah, yeah, she's 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 cool with it, you know. And I love joking. I love telling people, you know, that uh, uh, well, I just told my wife I'm I'm going to go out and pick up some horrors, and I'll be home in a few hours, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, and she knew it from from early on too, because. Um, when I met her, I was still doing it. I was still at that in the in the 80s. I was still shooting them and and still uh, pretty much having sex uh, every now and then too. And uh, um, but I stopped that shortly after, you know. And uh, uh, it took me a while to uh, actually. One of the things I I did do when I first started taking these pictures is uh, I denied I denied that I was having sex with them at all, you know. And uh, um, kind of like what we talked about earlier. Like, it, the, like, like was there like a little bit of shame on that? And and and, the, and, and what was it that um, what was it that uh, shifted you from going? Hey, wait a second! I I, I shouldn't be ashamed of this. Um, it was probably because of Linda, you know, okay. uh, because she was kind of cool with it. However, um, I had uh, I had told her that I wasn't, and we'd only been together for maybe a couple of months, a few months, and I had moved in with her. And uh, we were talking about something, and it, and, it, and it came up. And I said, well, i got to tell you, you know. And she hit me so hard. I mean, she really did. She just knocked me on my ass. And um, um, that's the only time she ever really, uh, you know, um, hit me. Um, now, was she, more, was she more angry that you were dishonest about it, or, or was she more angry that, um, of your action? Uh, it didn't bother that I had done it because when I did it, it was before her anyway. But the fact that I'd lied to her about it was, uh, was, was pretty much it. And, and, and at that time, after that, I decided, you know, there's really nothing in my life that I, I won't fess up to. You know, there's, there, there really isn't at, at this point. And, uh, um, you know, unless I'm talking to my mother, um, um, you know, who's 95 years old, and I have to do my Facebook points so it says um, everyone can see this except. Yeah. And uh, then there's my mother's name, you know. So, um, um, yeah, Linda's, Linda's been great, you know, all along. She's, she's always encouraged me to write and, and, and to do all this stuff. She's one of my biggest fans. Um, I think it upsets her more when I get a rejection than maybe it does me. Um, and and she came from an artistic background as well. She major she was an art major at Berkeley, uh, back when the National Guard was there tossing uh, 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 tear gas around, you know. And uh, so she's she's always she worked as a graphic artist, uh, computer artist for years and years. So uh, yeah, we're kind of a little artsy fartsy family, which is awesome. Okay, now I have to ask, how did you and Linda meet? Uh, in the workplace. Yeah, I, I freelanced when I was, um, well, I went in 1983, I spent a year um, in Saudi Arabia making... What was that for? Can you it was, um, as a photographer, making um, uh, training programs, and um, 
what I did basically was um, I, I would go out like an off, they would take a helicopter out to an offshore uh, drilling place and a gosp, they call them. Um, and I'd photograph people doing their, their jobs. And then I'd, I'd come home and, or come back to the lab, the studio, and I would take the slides and put little, uh, put words and stuff on them. So you'd have like, like there's a guy pulling a lever uh, to the left. And so I put an arrow going to the left. And it says, turn lever, you know. And so basically what we were doing was um, they were training. And they were trying to train the, the Saudis at that time so that they could do these things without us because they were dependent on us because we, and, and the Brits. Um, see, we grew up in America, regardless of what age now, um, tinkering, tinkering with cars, tinkering with mechanics, tinkering with everything. But in the uh, uh, 80s in Saudi Arabia, um, they had only had technology for so many years. So they didn't grow up tinkering with these things. So they didn't know how to run the machines. And so we were there to teach them how to run everything, how to get the oil out and, and how to sell it. And uh, once they learned all that, then they get rid of us. You know, but they paid well and, and uh, I stayed there. I lived in a camp and uh, it was a pretty good gig. Plus, uh, we went, uh, I was in Chicago for training before I went, well not for training, but for just like a, uh, uh, getting you ready because uh, Saudi Arabia is a very different place. Right. And um, there, there, there was no photography of sex workers at that time. There was no photography. There was no photography of uh, women was allowed at oh, all. Yeah. And so when they told me that, I went and bought more film. Um, and um, in my spare time, I went out to the Bedouin camps where people were still living in the camps. And I did photograph a lot of the women. And uh, it, was, it was pretty cool. Anyway, anyway, I learned from doing that, I learned um, to do a, um, a certain kind. Well, actually, I worked with a guy in Saudi Arabia. And a year after I was home, I was living with my uh, second wife in La Jolla. And I got a phone call. A guy I'd worked with said, do you know how to do... Um, and I can't remember what I did. Um, like an animation camera. Do you know how to do you know how to work these? And um, I said, Oh yeah, sure. You know, I had no fucking idea what he was talking about. And um, so he sent me a ticket to New York to fly to New York to help him out where he was working on this big job. And uh, they needed they needed a cameraman. And so. They took me out and they showed me what the job was and they took me into this room where they had this camera. And uh, I mean, I, I didn't know where the on-off switch was. And they left me. And so I learned it, yeah. you know, quickly. Yeah. Um, and after a couple of years of that, I came back home and I started freelance as an optical camera operator. So I started freelancing as that, which meant I could just spend my time otherwise... Uh, uh, trying to teach myself to write, trying to, uh, and taking pictures of the whores and, and running around. So I was a freelance uh, optical camera operator, and uh, I got a gig working in a place where Linda was working. And uh, as she tells it, um, I came in, it was raining outside, and I was wearing cowboy boots and a slicker. And so she was calling me the cowboy. Um, 
but uh, it didn't take. We just we kind of clicked uh, early on, and we were both in other uh, um, uh, involved with other people at the time. Um, but uh, it wasn't serious for either one of us with the other people, so we kind of uh, um, dropped them and, and got together. You know, we married a couple of years later. We've been together. I think she'll she'll. Uh, She'll be irritated when I can't remember, but I think we've been uh, 27 years. Yeah, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, marriage number three, 27 years. Okay, note to self. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. It can happen. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, I love that. So anyway, yeah, that's 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 how we met, and uh, and it's worked out. It, it it's worked out well, and uh, nowadays uh, she's retired. You know, so we just uh, we just kind of hang a lot, yeah. and um, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, how'd you, how'd you feel doing a drinks with Tony episode? Was it a <laughs> everything I dreamed? <laughs> yeah, yeah, everything I dreamed. Yeah. You know, yeah, all my life I'd say, "Oh my God, drinks with Tony." Um, Do you like all the production assistants we have around, and the um, yeah, 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 and the background sound is actually um, I had that brought in. Yeah, it's pretty sophisticated. Um, no, I, I I have to say though, I I'm I'm flattered. I'm flattered to be here. There there are, are so many people I've seen that you have interviewed, listened to, and uh, and I'm I'm flattered to be counted among them. You know, because I still feel oftentimes like the. Uh, uh, the stepchild, and and because uh, I'm not really, uh, I don't ever really feel like I'm in the group of solidly in the group of photographers or solidly in the group of writers, but kind of halfway into both, yeah. you know, and uh, um, so yeah, I know all these writers, I know all these photographers, but I haven't yet brought brought the two of them together so much. Well, you're pretty. Your your perception of yourself, I believe, is utterly wrong because I see you as a as a definitely uh, Los Angeles writer and a and a very uh, and a, like a, a figure of Los Angeles as far as I'm concerned. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's uh, you know all I ever wanted to be. I, I I always said you know all I want in life is a is a, a little cult following. You know, and that would make me happy. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm like people go oh, oh well, you know I'll do like a teaching workshop or I'll do a reading and they'll be like oh we're not sure how many are going to make it I'm like hey if it's one or if it's a thousand I don't care I'm happy either way yeah it's like doing readings yeah. you do a reading and, and if there's one person there you still do your reading yeah. you still do the Q&A and and uh, and you have a good time yeah. you know and you don't sell any books which right, is exactly. yeah yeah <laughs> Some of these readings, when there's a ton of people there, they you don't even sell books. Yeah, and you don't, and you still don't sell books. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And or they're standing in line for the person sitting at the table next to you. Oh yeah. I I've been in that position so many times where I've been signing with somebody. I mean, like three people bought my book, and the author next to me has a line all the way down. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm like, you know, the the, the uh, this line's shorter if you just want to, you know, come over. Nah, 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 nah. Actually, a question for you: Are you writing a book now? Yeah, yeah. I'm in the. I'm on the. Um, I've been working on something for seven years on and off that I've had to put away for my uh, mental health. Um, but I'm pulling it together and hoping to have it done mid uh, 2019. Cool. That'd be great. Yeah, something yeah. to look forward to. Another movie. Well, this time, 
I'm not going indie on it at all. They can like they can they can have it. They can ruin it. They can put you know Julia Roberts as the star, even though the hero is a dude. They just change it all. Just just give me a couple of bucks. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You know that's 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 what I want. I you know I, I don't want to be uh, selfish. I'd be happy with a, an HBO uh, miniseries for Big City. Yeah, yeah. That'd be fine. Yeah. Well, it still may happen. I mean, with with Jesus Jerk, I I wanted to be really on top of that because that story was so important to me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's where I was just like, money, I was, let's get a good final cut over yeah. money, and I'm happy with the final cut. Yeah, that's I all I can ask. Completely. I would feel that way about Curb Service because it's a, it's a story about me, yeah. you know, and uh, um, it, if somebody were going to do it, there's... Um, Oh, I always forget his name. Um, writer, uh, he's pretty good, and uh, he he ran the uh, um, the rumpus for a while. Um, oh, Stephen Elliott, yeah, yeah. and uh, he's uh, the his guy. his story is is pretty good. That he uh, started out, or um, he sold it to uh, James Franco, right. who turned it into a movie, and then he made a movie about James Franco turning it into the movie. Right. And, uh, and I thought it was pretty great because I always thought, you know, if you're going to sell your book, James Franco would be the perfect person, you know, to, to sell it to. God, if somebody plays me, I'd be, I'd be more than happy with that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you, 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 I don't know why, why I even mentioned that now, but that's, well, you were saying he's in the news now more or? Uh, well, yeah, there's, some, there's something going on that's kind of ridiculous. But, but regarding that, I mean, he, I think he didn't get $100,000 for that for it I'm pretty sure yeah and, and that's where um, that's where where I say you can't complain about anything yeah. if you got a hundred grand now if you sat there in the trenches with them and they really fucked it up then complain yeah, you know. yeah I think so and 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 again in 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 my case I mean you know what's the worst that's gonna happen I'm still gonna be the horror guy right <laughs> you know so when you start out as the horror guy you're you're not uh, too worried about being misrepresented. The whore guy, starring yeah. Steven Seagal. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Scott, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank man. you. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. It's been great. And that-, that was Scott Southern. Check out his books: Curb Service, Streetwalkers, and Big City. And now here's my interview with William T. Volman from the Drinks with Tony archives when he was promoting his book, Europe Central. Well, yeah, let's talk about voice because you definitely have a unique voice. Uh, like for a beginning writer, how, how would someone get to that type of unique voice or how did you acquire that yourself? Well, um, I guess you have to start by uh, as Hemingway says, you know, write about what you know, which is usually yourself, and and trying to um, have as many experiences as you can, and read as widely as you can, so that you're capable of creating different voices um, and knowing more. Yeah. Speaking of experience, uh, you're the king of experience um, when it comes to uh, what you've been through and um, you know different uh, war-torn journalism etc do you feel a drive to continue to like just really 
pursue the edge when it comes? Um, well, I feel that, uh, that I've learned enough, you know, to be able to write fiction and nonfiction about it. Um, you know, Rising Up and Rising Down was sort of my life's work. And I, I went through all those war zones so that I could um, explain what I, what I thought about violence, and I've done that. Um, and when I wrote Europe Central, um, I was able to imagine myself into the heads of some of these characters in part because, you know, I'd had a few experiences of war myself. So I don't need to do that anymore for those reasons. but. Um, I would gladly do it if I thought that I could uh, make a difference. Um, if I thought that um, I could help uh, people in the war zones, or if I thought that I could um, help Americans understand what our government is doing wrong, um, then yeah, of course I would consider it my obligation to do it. So, is it, so essentially, some of your fiction is uh, really kind of a, um, your way of opening up to people who aren't able to have those experiences and kind of really show them what's going on in the world, or yeah, in a way, um, you know, with Europe Central, it's too easy just to say, oh, um, the Nazis were terrible, the Stalinists were awful, and that's true. But where do you go from there? If you can realize the deeper truth, which is not only were they terrible, but um, if I had been born in that time and place, I would probably have been one. And uh, even if I resisted with all my being, um, I would still um, have characteristics of one, no matter what I did. Um, just as in this society, um, um, everybody thinks that money is the most important value to such an extent that it's become invisible. You know, parents tell their children, oh, you know, you have to learn how to sell yourself. Of course, they're outraged by prostitutes selling themselves, but that's what we are. You know, we're a culture of prostitutes. Um, and um, it's a completely different value than is held by so many people in the world. Um, and one of the reasons that we can't understand other people better is because we can't possibly imagine that they don't share that value, but they don't. And um, so if you were born in the Third Reich and all you ever heard was that you know Germany was the greatest and the Jews were very dangerous and poisonous and Slavs were inferior and this and that. Um, maybe you could, if you were really compassionate and brave, throw some of that off. But deep down, you would probably still feel somewhat good about Germany. You know, you would still think, well, Germany really is a very progressive place and probably the rest of the world is a little primitive. That's probably the best you could do. Speaking of uh, prostitution and uh, get you because you, you did live in the Tenderloin for a while, or were you doing research for I your? I spent a lot of time in the Tenderloin. Yeah. Uh -huh. 
uh, especially with uh, the royal family. Uh, I, I, was that for research for that book and also for uh, Whores of Gloria? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Did uh was that before before you were there was that re- was the research in your mind or were you just trying to experience it and then pulled out creative creativity out of it? Well, I wanted to come there and learn. Yeah. You know, I didn't know what the people were going to be like when I first started coming, and uh, I tried not to have preconceptions and just um, go and have an experience and take notes and repeat the process until gradually over years um, I began to be able to create prostitute characters Um, and um, it's much harder to create a fictional character than to write about a living person you have to see lots and lots of living people of these type in order to make up somebody who represents the type but at the same time isn't just a concatenation of real people, so it's uh, you know it's it's a real challenge. Yeah. Everyone's always looking for someone to blame. Yeah. Um, and um, it's always easier blaming someone else for your problems than solving them yourself. Yeah. Um, so right now, for instance, you know. Um, if we had, let's say, a, a terrorist attack that was, um, you know, grander in scale than September 11th, say a suitcase nuke goes off in Los Angeles or whatever, um, then uh, maybe it wouldn't be um, very problematic for many people in our society if we put all the Arab Americans in internment camps, you know, like sure. we did the, the Japanese Americans. That could quickly happen. Yeah. Um, and um, um, if somehow people could be convinced, you know, that there were Al-Qaeda cells everywhere and that, you know, these Arab Americans were extremely dangerous, you know, probably, you know, a lot of them would be murdered, Yeah. you know? You, you can see how easily those things can happen. Yeah, I mean, was, well, especially after September 11th, I was kind of freaked out at, uh, um, you know, how a nation can com- just completely freak out on a certain race and assume, you know. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of it has to do with lack of information. Yeah. You know, um, and most Americans are pretty ignorant because the media just portrays Americans to America. Yeah. So that's all we know. So a lot of people can't tell the difference, say, between a Sikh wearing a turban, you know, and a Muslim wearing a hijab. Right. And so when you don't have information, um, um, and somebody from this category has done something wicked, then it's very human to think that everyone from this category is dangerous. Right, right. Um, that just brought to mind uh, your your portrayal of prostitutes, um, because you know, as uh, I mean, as as a in the whole, they're looked down upon, but you bring a lot of empathy toward those characters. 
Yeah. Um, I have a lot of love and respect for prostitutes. Yeah. And they're kind of keeping it real at the very core where, like you said earlier, they're, you know, um, we're all kind of prostitutes in certain ways, you know? Or yeah. And of course, they're out to get what they can and take advantage of the Johns. Occasionally they rob them, they give them disease, whatever. Well, that's life. That's how people are. Um, and at the same time, um, um, they make their customers very happy. They keep marriages together. Um, they console lonely people. Um, um, and uh, yeah, I think they're very, very spiritual in what they do. Um, speaking of spiritual, uh, especially reading your latest book, um, some of it felt like parables from the Bible almost. Uh, did you do you do you feel that um, that influence in your writing too? Well, there are definitely a lot of the stories are parables. You know, I was reading Operation Hagen last night at Booksmith, among others, mm-hmm. and uh, that's the parable of the guy who takes responsibility for everything. And so you'd think, oh, he's sort of a, a Jesus figure in a way, except that he's absolutely vile. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm very interested in the Bible, but uh, not just in the Bible, in a lot of spiritual texts. Uh, also, let's go back to your writing style. It makes it, the, the way you write is so conversational, it makes it seem like it comes very easy for you. Does it come easy for you? Um, well, sometimes um, I can get a sentence just right the first time. Other times it might take, you know, 40 or 50 times to get it right. It all depends. But, um, yeah, it needs to, to feel easy and look natural. Um, if it's not, um, you know, then um, then you don't have the touch and you're not doing it right. Yeah. Speaking a little more of the situations you've been in, in uh, like war-torn countries or other situations, how do you handle the fear? Um, the fear of like, I know you've been like shot at, there's, I'm sure there's a lot of other stories you can go on and on about, but how, how do you handle that? Well, um, you just have to make your best plan, like a good boy scout, and figure out what might happen, and um, make every possible effort you can to protect yourself in advance. Yeah. You know, buy the, the best equipment, make the best friends, figure out the best route, know exactly what you're gonna do, and then once you have all that in place, you have to really just trust to your plan and trust to the people that you picked and be open and flexible and submit to the situation and just try to have a positive attitude. Because yeah. once you're there, uh, you can't control what's going to happen too much. Yeah. And you have to be ready to be killed. Yeah. And then if it happens, hopefully you won't have too many regrets. Right. And if it doesn't happen, you know, then you squeak through to do it again another time. It's, it's not so bad. Yeah. 
and uh, you know really the the people who who choose to do that um, you know the journalists the people like me um, if anything happens to us we are less to be pitied than uh, the people who are trapped and don't choose to go into that situation do, do you have to be really comfortable with your own mortality to you bet yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah um, so death doesn't it, is death not as scary for you maybe as others um, well it's always scary and it'll get you sooner or later but since it's going to get you sooner or later and it's scary then why not do what you want to do yeah. you're not going to you know, be immortal by um, refusing to take chances. So um, I think it's kind of liberating to be mortal and realize that um, um, really it can't be that much worse than it already is. Therefore, why worry? Have you had any uh, interest in... uh for movie studios trying to get rights to your books and wanting to develop? Yeah, I wrote two screenplays on uh, on uh, commission for two different studios, but they were never produced. Of course. <laughs> but the money was decent? Yeah, it was like 10, was it like, maybe it was 20K for one yeah. and 30K for the other, so it wasn't bad. Yeah. Took me like, five or six hours in each case, so I can't really complain. Well, you busted out a screenplay in five or six hours? Uh-huh. <laughs> How was that process for you? Uh, well, um, I just, uh, um, cut out all the descriptions, pretty much, or most of them, and then wherever there was dialogue, I just added some capital letters and colons, wow. and it was all set to go. I, I have friends who will listen to this and just cringe. <laughs> do, when you write, do you write on computer or longhand? or Both. Yeah. yeah. Um, if I go to some place like the Congo or to a war zone or something, you know, it's crazy to take a laptop where it would just get stolen and where there's, you know, no reliable electricity. Um, but... I'll be going to Japan next month, and then I'll bring my laptop. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What kind of advice do you have for beginning writers or writers who really, you know, at the beginning of their careers? Um, well, I would say um, don't fixate on getting published. Yeah. Because um, that's really. Um, the least important concern. If you really care about writing, you should do it because it makes you happy. And um, you should be um, just as happy if you can write something that you think is beautiful and you can keep it in a drawer or maybe show it to a few people you care about and they're thrilled. Um, that is uh, just as important. If you if you can have that attitude, then no one can ever take the pleasure of it away from you. Yeah. But so often there are um, beginning writers who you know put 
copyright by on every page of the manuscript and yeah. um, you know and they're so anxious to get an agent and do this and do that and um, like that stuff is irrelevant yeah. it's like asking a photographer you know you know which is the best equipment to use and all that matters is the image you know and with uh, with writing all that matters is the word and um, you have to think of the the sad lives and the commercial failures, uh, you know, which so many great writers have experienced. Um, you know, look at somebody like Melville. Um, you know, if you're an aspiring writer, do you want to write Moby Dick? Sure. Okay, well, if you're going to do that, then that means you're willing to accept. Um, not just no success, um, but poverty and even a certain measure of disgrace for the rest of your life. Can you proudly accept that? If so, yeah, then uh, you still may not be a good writer, but you're on the right track. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, if, you're, if your thing is you know, getting recognition as quickly as possible, then I would say, why? Why do you want that? And is writing really going to help you do that? And are you going to be a happier, better person by having that recognition? Yeah. That's, that, would, that would be my advice. Yeah, I run it. Thanks for listening to Drinks with Tony. Next week on the show, we have the amazing Jay London. Have a great week.